Well, good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us. If you're watching online, thanks for worshiping as well. For the last several weeks, we've been working our way through the book of James, um, which is an incredibly wonderful and practical book to study. But if you're here today and you're just jumping in with us, what I thought I'd do is just begin with a little bit of background to help you understand a little bit more about the person who wrote the book, James, and the message that he wants us to hear and that he's trying to convey. And so first, just a little bit about James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. And this may surprise you, um, but James did not begin with faith in Jesus. But again, then again, maybe that shouldn't surprise you because, uh, you know, it would probably take quite a bit of faith for someone to, uh, you know, believe that their brother is their Lord. So just think about that for a moment, okay? Um, how much faith would it take for you to believe that your brother was in fact your Lord, okay? And, and when you think about it that way, it does beg a question. I mean, what would it take for your brother to convince you that he was your Savior and Lord? And my guess is it would take a whole lot of convincing for you to believe that your brother was your Lord and your God. And yet James um, ended his life being stoned for his faith. He was stoned to death because at the end of his short life on this planet earth, he left this earth believing, absolutely convinced that Jesus was his Lord and his Savior. The question is, what was it that caused James to uh, move from no faith to uh, deep, uh, willing to die faith in, in Jesus Christ? What was it that happened? The answer, the resurrection of Jesus. See, Jesus Christ died, and then three days later, he rose again. And it says in the scripture that he appeared to over 500 people. One of them was his brother, James. And when James encountered his resurrected brother, it changed everything for him. And he had deep faith in Jesus Christ, willing to die for his faith. And so James is a guy who went from no faith, from being a skeptic, to being an earnest follower of Jesus Christ, who had a faith that he was willing to lay his life down for. And his desire for us is to have a real, genuine, growing faith. And that's what he talks about in this book. He wants that for us. And to help us with that, he wants to help us understand what it looks like to have a real and growing faith. Not just that we say we have faith, but that we have a faith that lives out in everyday practice. And so he gives us a series of questions or tests to help us understand what real, genuine faith looks like and, and how it's revealed. And so one of the tests that he gives is this. It comes down to the question of how do we treat and how do we look at the least, the last, and the lost? Let me show you in James uh, chapter 1, verse 27. He asks this question. He says this. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So James is saying real genuine faith that God accepts, guess what? It means that you're looking out for those who are marginalized, those who are the least, the last, and the lost in our world. In James' world, it was the orphan and the widow. But for us, we just have to stop and say, well, what does it look like for us to, to reach out and to love those who, again, are on the margins, the least, the last, and lost? And if you were here last week, you know that he challenged us to not show favoritism. 
He said, don't show favoritism to some people and not to others. Don't show care to some people that you think, oh, if I show favoritism to them, I might get a favor in return. You know, we look at some people, we'll care for them, not others. We push them against the wall. James says real faith um, really truly looks at the least, the last, the lost and treats people without favoritism. Why? Because that's the, com- the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself, to love others, not just to love the people that we like, but to love the people that are different from us, even the least, the last, and the lost, to not show favoritism. So that's the real challenge, the challenge that he gave us. But then today, he just tightens the screws a little bit more because he says, listen, if you are not showing love uh, to the least, the last, and the lost, you may have a faith that's no better than the demons. And that ought to shock you a little bit. Because that's what James is going for. And it's so helpful that James pushes us that way. And it's helpful for us to, to really get what James is saying. Because if we do, it will really help us when it comes to the communion table that we'll be, we'll be participating in a little bit later in this service. But I want to invite you to turn to James chapter 2, where James talks about this. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to James chapter 2. If you have the handout that you received on your way in here, has the passage printed for you. Before we read it together, though, let me just give you kind of the, a quick a summary. And if you're a note taker, this is the moment for you to kind of write some notes where James helps us see three different types of faith, three different kinds of faith. And so if you're a note taker, this is that moment for you to kind of just see the flow of the passage and then we'll read it together. But there's three different kinds of faith that uh, James wants us to see. The first one is this, that there's a, a dead faith. And he talks about that in verses 14 through 17. The other kind is a demon faith, which is a little scary and it should scare us. Verses 18 and 19. And then a third kind of faith is a demonstrated faith, verses 20 through 24. Now, you're looking at that and you're saying, this does not feel like a very Mother's Day talk to me, right? (laughs) Um, And you may be saying, why not a Mother's Day talk? Well, let me tell you, first of all, I'm not a mother, okay? So just be clear on that. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. If you are here with your mom or you're here with your grandma um, or you're, you're here for them, let me tell you this. I do know this, that if you're here with them, it's because of a, couple of a couple of things that I know to be true. First of all, they love you and they love the Lord. I also know this, that if you're here with them or for them, the number one thing they want for you is genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. That is the number one thing they want for you. And the number one gift that you can give to your mom or give to your grandma or whoever you're here with is to have a sincere faith in Jesus Christ or to sincerely seek who Jesus Christ is and that you would consider him openly in consideration of who he is. That is the greatest gift that you can give to your mom uh, or your grandma. And let me just say it again. This is such a helpful passage for us. Because it is a passage that helps us say, okay, real genuine faith is not just living life finally, looking around around me, but it's looking up and saying there's a God up there. I need to consider him, seek him, put my faith in him. And when I do that, it ought to change the way that I live uh, in, in the world, practically speaking. And so this passage is a gift to you. It's a gift to your mom. It's a gift to all of us. And so it just makes sense that we really pay attention to hear what James is saying. 
uh, about what it means to have a real, genuine faith that um, is practiced out actively, visibly. So, with all that said, James chapter 2, um, verse 14, I want to invite you to please stand. We're going to read the passage in its entirety, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it verse by verse. But James chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 14, it says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without, clothes, with, is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Okay, go go ahead and have a seat. We'll take a look at this together. Now, when you look at this first verse, it just seems like a very simple and straightforward verse, but um, there is a, there is, this verse has created a lot of controversy for people, and it's been quite explosive over the years. So let me just read it for you. It says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So again, this verse is simply saying, you know, what good is it to have a driver's license but not being able to drive? It's the same thing. What you just have, say you have faith, but then there's nothing that it produces. It doesn't do anything. Can such a faith save the person? And so this verse is just pointing out that faith uh, should produce actions. But this is a, a verse, by the way, that did create real challenge for people um, over, over throughout history. One of them being Martin Luther. Martin Luther, if you may, may not be aware of, he was a, a great reformer. He read this verse and he just caused him to say, you know, the book of James is a, is a, is a book f- filled with straw. He, he really struggled with this. You know, he, he, he'd say, okay, you can go ahead and read all the books of the Bible, but read James last. Because essentially he was like, I'm struggling with this. And there's reason behind that because Martin Luther, if you, if you don't know, again, was a great reformer. We owe so much to him in terms of our understanding of the, of the Christian faith. And I'm boiling that down for us. But he was an Augustinian monk. And he worked very, very hard to get God's approval through his works and his deeds. But over the course of time, as he continued to work and as he continued to do things, he found himself um, exhausted and it didn't get him anywhere in the process. And so really in his grief, he turned to Scripture. And it was in the Scripture that he found that the salvation, God's approval, is granted to us by grace through faith 
Jesus Christ. Not something that we earn or do, but something that we receive through faith in the work of Jesus Christ for us. And it freed him up. It was unbelievably life transformative for him to say, I come to God. I already receive salvation, God's approval, not by me trying to work my way up a ladder to get there, but God came down and did a work for me by grace. Not something I earned, not something I deserve, but something I receive by faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he saw this passage is a, a, a conflict, a battle between the Apostle Paul, who, who emphasized faith, and the, the James, who seemed to be emphasizing works. But what I want you to see is that James is really just um, sharing with us a key uh, and central New Testament idea that's really actually not in conflict with Paul, but complementary to what Paul is saying in the New Testament. So let me show you the principle found throughout the New Testament. It's so critical and so important. Here's the principle. If you're a note taker, you can write it down. That real faith should bring forth real fruit. Real genuine faith should bring forth real fruit. And this, again, is a core and central New Testament idea. And just to kind of help you get this pictured, I think it's helpful to talk about fruit for a moment, okay? So let me do this. I'm going to just do a little quiz with you, a little test this morning, um, to see how well you know your fruit trees, okay? Um, In my yard, I just love fruit trees. If I could just take everything out and just put fruit trees all the way around um, where everything's edible, that is my dream yard. You know, I just, I want to eat things. So I'm going to test you, see how well you do. Okay, I'm going to show you a picture of a tree and I want you to tell me what kind of tree it is. Are you ready? Okay, first picture. What is it? (laughs) I heard apple, but... Orange is the one I heard murmured. Okay, come on. Be bold. You guys, you guys got this, right? So or, it's an orange tree. All right, you got this. Okay, let me show you another one. See how you're doing. How will you do? What's this one? Cherry. cherry. All right, good. Cherries. We grow cherries around here in the Tri-Cities, right? They're awesome. Love cherries. I planted one this spring for myself. I just I love cherries. Okay, so here's another one. Um, lemon. Okay, good job. Good job. Okay, here's another one. Pear, all right. You guys are you guys are like 100% right now, except for Dennis. Dennis, <laughs> let's go to the next one. Banana. Oh, you guys are so brilliant. How are you figuring this out? How are you figuring out what these trees are? I don't know. Okay, let me show you one more. Uh oh, you don't know what tree it is, do you? How come? Because there's no fruit telling you what the root is. Now, this, I think, is actually a, a peach tree that just hasn't, fruit hasn't, the fruit hasn't developed yet. But you don't know that because you don't see the fruit. And here's the idea, right? You know what the root tr- of the tree is by the fruit. And so what James really wants to help us see is that real faith brings forth real fruit. And it's an indicator that there's the, the, of what's really happening, uh, really uh, beyond just the, the what you see. And so this is a, a key central idea in the New Testament. And it's not just something that James is saying. Jesus talks 
talks about this as well. In, J- in Matthew chapter 5, listen to what Jesus says. He says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So your works display who you represent, who you have in your heart. Um, there's another passage. Let me show you this next one, Ephesians. This is the Apostle Paul. It says this in Ephesians 2, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So uh, James and Paul are not in conflict. In fact, if you read Paul's letters, you see that he talks theology and then he gets very practical at the end of all of his letters to make sure that we aren't just learning knowledge about God um, and theology about God, but that it touches our, our practice ethically and that it t- touches how we live our life. And so the, the Apostle Paul is really in, this, in the same place. In fact, um, the Apostle Paul, if you were to boil down, what is it that the Apostle Paul teaches? In terms of faith, let me just show you. Acts uh, 16 is a great place to start. Here's what what he says. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's a beautiful, fabulous statement. That it's faith in the Lord Jesus that saves us. It's not our works It's not something we do to earn or deserve. It's our faith in Jesus that saves us. But what James wants us to understand is that real New Testament faith has an action to it. It it shows itself. It reveals itself. That's what James wants us to help us understand. Because we believe, but real belief has actions. Let me just demonstrate this for you. I'll just tell you this, that I I believe that modern-day parachutes are... Uh, better than the first original design of a parachute. You with me? Do you believe that too? I really believe that modern day parachutes are better than the original one. Now, does that mean I'm going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane with a modern parachute? No way. Do you think I'm crazy or something? See, I, I can know something intellectually and really believe it, but unless I'm willing to act on it, show it, it shows my, do I really believe it? Another way of saying it, I, I, I believe that um, law enforcement will give me a citation if I don't uh, buckle my seatbelt when I'm driving, okay? I really believe that. And I also believe I'll be safer, safer if I buckle my seatbelt when I drive. So that belief has turned into action. Every time I get into the car, what do I do? I buckle the seatbelt. That belief changed my behavior to say, I'm going to buckle up. And if I don't, my kids are there to remind me, dad, you got to buckle up, okay? So this is, that's what faith, real faith is. It changes our behavior. And so um, again, James wants us to get what Paul is saying um, in real life. And and when you look at it, Paul and James are kind of two, two sides of the spiritual timeline. The apostle Paul is saying, listen, you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You come to salvation through faith alone. It's not something you earn, not something you do. It's faith in Jesus by his grace. That's how we come to salvation. Then James just picks up a little bit further down the timeline and says, if you have real faith, it ought to show real fruit. That do we, what we, don't we, do we really possess what we profess in our heart? That's what James is trying to help us get. And so he gets very practical with us, and he gives us an example in the next verse. It says this, uh, 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So he's saying someone comes in uh, to like a worship service and they have real need. And are you going to push them away and say, hope, hope things go well for you? We would never do that, right? What we tend to do is say this, I'll be praying for you, which is essentially saying goodbye now. I hope you do all right, right? And we kind of just push that off and and we don't do anything. And and so he's saying, I'm not saying we always do that, but what he's saying is, listen, don't just say words. Don't just say, hey, I'll be praying for you and not really recognize that there's real needs that we ought to be addressing and dealing with. And with that, this very powerful illustration, I do want to stop. I want to dig into it a little bit more, but I do want to stop and address the people here in this room who have a very sensitive conscience. Um, and I appreciate a, a very, people who have very sensitive conscience because even in my life group this past week, we were discussing not showing favoritism and judging people. And, and then the question came up, well, if I see someone in need or if I run across someone who's homeless, um, you know, do I have to do it? You know, is there, a, do I always need to respond or there's I don't respond. Um, if there's a need, do I have to respond to every need? And I get that. There's a sensitivity that many of you hold and carry a burden that you feel with the needs around you. So the question is, do I, how do I deal with that? Uh, that, that sensitivity, this, this kind of conscience-stricken sense of like, oh, I've got all these needs around me. And so let me just say a couple of things. First of all, just looking at this passage closely will help us to be careful. We do have to be careful when we look at James because he's action-oriented, but we also have to see the logic behind what he's saying. So just going back to verse 15, look, look at close. It says, suppose a brother or sister. So right there, that tells you something. He's talking about a brother and sister. That is people who are in the family of faith. So he's talking right there about kind of a familial setting, a, a, a church setting. And what, help, what that helps us see is that James is saying, listen, we have to be very sensitive to the people that God is putting right in front of us, right in our path, an, an everyday practice, an everyday life. And it's not that we are to stop and say, I've got to meet the needs of all people all over the place, that I've got to be listening to the news. And as I listen to the news, there's all these needs and I've got to start responding to all of them. Um, no, that's not what James is saying. And in fact, there's medication for, for people who think that they've got to care for every need all over the whole world. And maybe some of us should be taking it. Okay. So it's just, we can't. And so this, we just have to be careful. James is not saying we have to meet every need, but he's saying we need to have a sensitivity to the people God puts right in front of us, And so we're sensitive to those people and we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And it does require wisdom and a a sensitivity in that sense. So brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. So just point out the next part, part of this verse is without clothes or daily food. So he's talking about people who have real and substantial needs. And this is also a very helpful thing to just stop and say, okay, there are people in our life that God puts in front of us that have a real and substantial need that we need to meet. And we can't shy away from that. But we also have to be very careful because just because there's a need in people's lives or needs around us does not mean that it's a calling. And I had a pastor tell me this many years ago. Um, He said, Scott, listen, just because there's a need doesn't necessarily mean it's your calling. And it brought a whole lot of freedom to me as a young minister because in the church, I'm like, well, there's so many needs around me. There's so many needs in the community. There's so many needs in the world. And how can I meet them all? 
And the answer is, I can't. And so his simple advice, hey, listen, just because there's a need doesn't mean there's a call. Help me say, okay, well, within my finite resources and within the people that God has placed in front of me, who are the people that I can care for? the people that I can, I can minister to and, um, legitimately and, and really carefully. And, and in fact, even Jesus, right? He healed some, uh, but he walked by thousands that he didn't heal. And so there is a part of us that we have to just stop and say, we got to do for one what we could do for everyone. And there's just times that we just say, I can't do it all, but what can I do for you? What I wish I could do for all, that's what I do for one. My wife and I, we are, we are um, at, at a point in, our, in our, our life where we were drawn towards adoption. And when we started to pursue adoption, we started to see, man, there's thousands of children all around the world that don't have um, families. And the need was great, and we'd like to adopt them all. But we can't, right? So we, we said, hey, what could we do for a few that we wish we could do for all? And there's just a part of all of us have to say, what can, who is it that God's placed in my life that I can respond to and not feel the pressure and the burden to respond to every need because it's overwhelming in the process? So without clothes, daily food. And then it says, um, verse 16, if anyone says to them, go in peace, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So I just point out the physical needs part because there is a need that there's, uh, he's called to address, the physical need. But I want you to see that it's not all needs of all people. Does that, do you hear that? So if you run into a person who's needy, a person who's homeless, and you think to yourself, okay, I need to go out, I need to buy them a home, and I need to stock that home with food, and I need to get clothes, and then they might have needs later on in life, so I've got to supply them with a lifetime income. No, 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 that's not what James is saying, right? Because, uh, you know, that you, just, you just can't, and codependency is a real problem. So you just have to understand, hey, there's certain things that I need to respond to and be sensitive about that and do it without saying I've got to provide everything for them. Let me just put it really, really simply, okay? Let me tell you something. You're not Jesus, okay? (laughs) And um, we're not voting for you if you're running for Jesus, okay? So let's just be clear about that. So (laughs) we can't meet all needs of all people, in fact, it actually can be damaging if we're not careful. But at the same time, it doesn't mean we shrink back and we don't address the real needs that God has placed in front of us. And that's what James really does want us to get. So next verse, let's go what he says. He says this, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So he's saying, listen, if you say you have faith, but it doesn't come with action, it's dead. Can I show you one more tree picture? Are you ready? What is this? It's a dead tree, okay? Are you expecting fruit out of this tree right here? <laughs> we would like to see fruit, but it's not going to happen because it's dead. He's simply saying, listen, if, you're, if there's no fruit, it may be an indicator that the root is dead, that we, you say we have faith, but it's not really there because it would show up in real um, action. It would bring forth fruit. So again, he's saying, listen, with all the cautions that we just talked about, James is still saying, get your hands dirty. He's still saying, go serve people. 
Go, uh, go uh, sacrifice your time, your resources, your money. Your, just give to people. Don't, don't, don't shrink back because that's, it's an indication that do you really have faith? Because faith shows itself in how we care for and how we see the least, the last, and the lost and the people that God is putting in front of us that have real needs. And so he, get, he goes on to say this because there's a, a, a kind of a question that could come out of that verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. That is the, you know, hey, you know, you know, you've got faith, I've got deeds, you know, you know, I'm, I'm more theoretical, you're more practical, we're all Christians, right? It's all good. And James is saying, no, he's saying, listen, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And he wants us to show faith, that's the idea. And the problem is, faith is hard to see, isn't it? Now, God can see faith in our, in our lives, but it's very difficult for us to see faith um, vis- unless it comes out visibly. You know, it's not like you're going to reach down your throat, pull out a big old glob of faith and say, there it is, you know. It just, it doesn't work. God can see it, but we can't unless it's met also by actions, how we live in, de- in a demonstrated way. So he's saying, listen, uh, you, if, you, if you think you got faith theoretically, you may be missing it. Verse 19, he goes on to give this. He says, you believe that there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So he's saying, listen, if you, if you believe you have faith, um, you believe that there's one God, even the demons believe that. And he's talking to Jewish Christians, by the way, um, in Jerusalem, who a, a, an observant Jew would start every single day reciting the Shema, which is uh, Deuteronomy 6. I'll just show it to you. It says this, um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every day they would begin the day saying, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it was an acknowledgement there is one God, and it's the Lord Yahweh. He's, he's God. And so they begin every day with that. And, and James is saying, Okay, great. You believe there's one God? Guess who else believes there's one God? Look back in the verse with me. He says, you believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that. And so if you think about it, the demons actually, demons actually have very good theology in many ways. They believe there's one God. They believe that Jesus is God. They believe in the plan of salvation. They even believe that there's going to be judgment someday. There's, there's, they have theology that's there. Uh, and it says with all of that, they even shudder to it. And so he's simply saying, if you have an intellectual faith, you know certain things, but you don't, it's not met with your actions, you may have demon faith, which James is just so blunt, isn't he? (laughs) I mean, if James had a choice between um, a hug or a slug, he's going to slug you every time, right? So he wants you to kind of be rattled by this, because he's saying, this is serious, and I don't want you to just gloss over this. He's saying, listen, just uh, saying you have a faith, and when it's not met with real true actions, you may be um, in the, have, a, have a demon type of faith. Then verse 20 says this, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So he's saying, hey, do you want evidence about this? Let me show you some evidence. Verse 21, he, go, he goes into this. He says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? So he's, James is now going to give evidence of faith in action, a demonstrated faith. And he's going to give two examples. He's going to talk about Abraham the patriarch and Rahab the prostitute, which couldn't different than each other, but I think there's, there's wisdom in seeing both. And he starts with Abraham, and Abraham, you need to understand, 
uh, was, is in uh, Genesis 15, you kind of pick up in the story where he comes off of this battle and this great victory, but after the victory, there's always a letdown, and he's in this mo- mode of like just kind of complaining, and he's saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I'm 88 years old. I have no heir. I, um, I, I've been, my name means, means exalted father, but I have no children. My whole, my, everything that I own is going to go to my servant. He's just kind of in a, he just, he's feeling low. But it's in that moment that God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to have a son, which is a remarkable thing to say. But what's even more remarkable is that Abraham believes him. And it says in, Abraham, in, in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Such a powerful, powerful verse that faith brought righteousness, was credited to him as righteousness. And so this is a great moment for Abraham. But the, and, and God in his goodness um, delivered on his promise as Abraham trusted him and he had a son. And then now 30 years later, the, um, he, he, uh, his son, who's I, his name is Isaac, God gives to Abraham another most incredibly stunning command. He says, take your son Isaac, your only son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. And there was a, just a, a remarkably stunning statement command. And yet Abraham um, believes God. And in fact, he goes and he begins to, to make the ascent to the place where there was, there were to, he was to sacrifice his son, but he has faith the entire time. See, God sees his faith. We don't see his faith, but this is the moment that we begin to really truly see Abraham's faith in action because he goes up to the hill, the place where there were, he was to sacrifice his son, and he even tells his servants, listen, we're going to come back because he Oh, is God somehow going to bring deliverance in this scenario? He doesn't know how. He goes up, and if you know the story, you know that he's prepared to sacrifice his son. And even Isaac is saying, where's the sacrifice? Um, like, because this isn't normal um, that's taking place. And you know, at the last moment, as Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, he looks up and he sees a ram in the it caught. It was, a, it, was the, it was the animal to be sacrificed. God showed up. But what we see in Abraham is a faith that's visible. It's demonstrated by his action. Not just a faith that God saw, but now a faith that we get to see because he trusted in God and knew that God could deliver even in the 11th hour. And so listen to the next verse. It says this, um, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. His faith was made complete. What does that mean? It means his faith was matured. It is demonstrated. We could see the very faith that he professed. It, it came out in, in how he lived and the choice that he makes. So it's, it's very powerful. Verse 23 says this, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Isn't that a beautiful statement? That when he put his faith and trust in God in a real, tangible, demonstrated way, it was, it was, he was called God's friend. And it's one thing to say that, you know, so-and-so is my friend, but when they call you their friend, that's powerful, isn't it? And God says, you're my friend. That you have faith in me, and it's demonstrated. It's, it's great. Now, you look at this and say, well, that's great. Um, uh, this is, uh, this is Abraham. He's the, he's the father of the faith. Well, what about just any old poor 
person. And that's where he begins to go next. Verse 24 says this. And you see the person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So he says, here's the, the example of Abraham. And again, well, that's Abraham. He's pretty great. What about just some normal person, um, garden variety sinner like, like the rest of us? That's what he goes next. And he gives this other example, verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did um, when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And so you could, the contrast couldn't be more stark. There's a, there's a, it's a man and a female, male and a female, which in the Jewish economy was a big deal. But it was also, um, it was, Abraham was, uh, was Jewish, the first of, of the Jews, and uh, Rahab was a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. Um, he was prominent, a patriarch. She's a prostitute. So you could not be more different, but the same principle applies. It's faith that's demonstrated through action that God is looking for. And it says he's talking about Rahab. She was considered righteous for what she did. In Joshua 2, the, the people of Israel were coming into the promised land, and they had this great walled city, Jericho, that stood in their way. And so Joshua sends spies to go see, see things, and the spies go in um, and through, through Rahab, and they are in a spot where it's a, they're in distress because they're going to get caught. But Rahab, at great risk to herself, hides the spies um, and then ultimately helps them escape and find their way back to the camp. And in that process, she says to them, listen, I know there's one true God, and I know it's your God. And will you remember me um, for my faith that's demonstrated through my actions? And if you know the story, the story was, hey, put up, you know, this, this cord, the scarlet cord into the, on your, on your, um, window, and we'll know that this is a household of faith. So it's this beautiful story, but the same principle is applied that it's faith that's demonstrated through actions in, in, this, in this verse. And so then to kind of wrap things up, verse 26, he says this, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. A body without a spirit, it's dead. So faith without real works, without real action is dead. And, and it's important that we get this. If I take a, um, let's just say a light post, and I take that light post and I duct tape a bunch of peaches to it, and I try to sell it to you as a peach tree, are you going to buy it? No. You'd be like, wait a minute. It's, the, it's a post. It's a, it's, a, it's a lamp post that you taped fruit to, right? It, it, it's not real. And so, but if I, if I have a, a real um, peach tree, and it has real fruit on it, and I say, would you like it? You're like, sure, because you see the real fruit, and it go, matches to the real root, and it, it, it is productive. This is what James is saying. Listen, real faith produces real fruit, and this is what we need to be paying attention to. So the question then is, well, how do we do that? How do we have faith that's demonstrated like Abraham so that God might call us his friends as well? And Jesus says, you're my friends if you, um, if you do what I've commanded. Well, what is it that Jesus commanded? Jesus commanded that you love your neighbor as yourself, that you love others. Love the least, the last, and the lost. True um, faith is demonstrated through real service. And by the way, service not just to the people you like, but the people you don't like as well. And this is where our faith is tested, isn't it? Because this week you are going to run into someone who is irritating, 
who's someone who's going to take up your time, who's someone you want to avoid, but real faith says, I'm going to really serve you because I have a God who served me. And real faith produces real fruit in a tangible way and says, I'm going to care for the least, the last, and the lost. I'm going to be sensitive to the people God's put in my path and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit in saying, how can I meet your need? And how can I care for you? And it doesn't have to be in big ways, big, big flashy ways, by the way. It can be in very simple, small acts of service. Sometimes it's the mom reading the book for the 4,000th time to the little one (laughs) as if they're reading it for the first time. And you're like, that's real service. You bet it is. But sometimes real service is in really simple ways, but it can make, make a real difference in someone's life. Sometimes real faith for you might be listening to someone tell the story that you've heard for the 4,000th time, okay? We all have that family member, and you know it. The moment they clear their throat, it's like, oh man, that story's coming again. I know it. And you're kind of trying to find your exit plan. But, but real service is really listening in those moments because do you know that the, the, um, the listening is the first skill of loving? Listening to people can make such a difference. It may not be what you do for somebody, but that you listen to somebody. This last week, our staff got to uh, attend, we got to go to the Union Gospel Mission together, and we did a tour. And on the tour, one of the staff members who uh, attends uh, our church was talking about how they were um, interacting with one of the residents, and the resident residents has some mental health issues, and just was telling a story, and it was wild, and it was all over the place, but that uh, the staff person just listened to him. And after an hour of listening the, the person finally stopped and then just started weeping, crying. And, and he said, what, why, are you, why are you crying? And he said, I've never had someone listen to my whole story. And how powerful is that? That in that moment, they just listened. And it brought tears because no one had taken the time to listen to my full story. See, it could be something as simple as listening. It could be something that's not just what you do, but what you don't do. It's listening to James' advice to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And so your act of service might be, I'm not going to erupt in anger when this situation is making my blood boil, okay? That might be your simple act of service when the circumstance requires it. So it's very simple ways it's giving your time, maybe some of your resources, caring for the people that God's placed in your life. Real love, not just with the people we like, but, but loving people because of the way that God has loved us. See, in the scripture, it talks about this. In Romans 5, 8, let me just read it for you. It says this, but God demonstrates. Do you hear that? God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated a real love. It wasn't just a lip service, I love you, but it was met with action. And did we deserve it? No. While we were still sinners, while we were running the opposite direction, while we were rebelling, he came and he, he sacrificed himself for us. That's real love, a love that's demonstrated. And as we come into this communion time, This is a moment for us to remember a God who 
who gave to us, a God who served us, a God who offers salvation to us. And let me be clear, salvation is, comes to us by faith, but real faith um, should produce real works. That's the idea. And in this moment, we get to come and be reminded that God gave himself for us in a meaningful way that transforms us from the inside out so that we can live in a way that he modeled for us in a way, and love people in the way that he loved us in a very real, tangible, uh, demonstrated way. So what I want to do is, is I'm going to invite the, the ushers to come up um, and you can come up right now, or that's great. Um, just They're going to come forward, and I'm going to pray. Um, and what I'd like to do is just take this moment as we come to the communion table to just thank God for who He is, what He's done. And this is a moment for you, if you've yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, to, to do that, to say, today's the day, Jesus, I believe in you. And not just a belief of, of just words, or my intellect, but a, a belief in a way that I, I want to receive all that you have for me, that you would change my whole entire life. And so with that, let's take a moment and let's pray, and we'll come into this communion time. God, we do thank you for your love for us, demonstrated through the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. God, we thank you that you didn't remove yourself from us when we were rebellious, when we were um, sinning and continue to sin, but that you stepped toward us. Lord, help us to be people who step towards others in their need, in their distress, in their challenges. Help us to be people who listen, who love, who give, who sacrifice, all because of who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, help us in our faith to have a faith that really truly grasp the deep and um, tremendous love that you have for us and have it so transform our lives that anyone else around us would be able to look at the fruit of our lives and say that's a Christ follower. God, we can't do this on our own, so we ask for your help, and we pray this in your name. Amen.